The human journey is filled with paths. Choices we face every morning. Will I stay? Will I go? Will I venture far on the open road? Will I take risks? Will I capture the heart and share it with the world? Will I make today matter? These choices, these paths, are what shape our journey. It's how we face our fears, how we dream, how we chase, how we care, create, and connect. Because the end of our journey, the finish line of our choices, will be weighed by how we grasp today. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Kesset. How's everybody? Hi, guys. I'm super excited you're here. If you're brand new, my name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors here today. And uh, today is a really, really special, special service, and so uh, I'm really just here to prepare you for that. Uh, we as a church, as most of you know, have been on a real quest for emotional health. We feel like so much of uh, health and wholeness is weaved throughout Scripture and Spirit that uh, we have sought it out. And so we do these emotional, healthy spirituality classes. We do rooted discipleship. And we talk a lot on Sundays about what it means to really reflect and spend time asking uh, God, the Spirit, and people who know how we can become better and stronger at relationships both with Him and one another. And so today, uh, I'm going to bring before you somebody who's very important to me. Um, it's actually a man who has uh, been mentoring me for about a year and a half, two years. And uh, I meet with him on a regular basis. I've talked about him quite a bit. His name is Byron Kaler. And Byron, um, I'm going to let him share a little bit about what he does, but he is a therapist. And uh, he really understands people and kind of how they work and how God tends to use their stories uh, for their growth and development. And so I asked Byron about six months ago if he would consider coming to share at, at Kesed. And I don't know how orthodox that is to come and share at a client's church. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, you remember that confidentiality agreement we signed? Like some of those people are here today. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but in all reality, uh, we're all people and we're all living out the journey. And the truth is uh, this man knows more about this topic than anyone else that I know. And so uh, I said last service, he is a bright torch in a dark tunnel uh, for me, and I know he is for the people at 9 o'clock, and I think he will be for you as well. And so uh, I'm honored to have him come. And so what I want to do is pray and then introduce him and uh, let him just share his heart with you. And uh, my hope is that uh, you are blessed like I've been blessed, like the others have been blessed, and uh, that it opens up new avenues for you to connect with God and with each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for what it is you are about to do in this service. Thank you that we can come together and wrestle and be authentic uh, with the beauty and the brokenness of our lives. Thank you for these words that we're about to hear. May they speak to our hearts, not just through the man, but through the spirit. May they impact us. May they begin to transform us. May we reflect upon them as we continue to engage in what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, and thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give a warm, kessed welcome to Byron Kaler? Thank you, pal.
It's an honor to be with you this morning. As Danny mentioned, uh, I'm a Christian therapist here in the Portland area. Uh, I specialize in working with folks around trauma recovery, childhood trauma recovery. My wife is actually also a therapist. Can you even imagine that? <laughs> Under the same roof? Just think about gentlemen, our arguments. Like you win some, but probably not others. <laughs> So it's good to be able to be with you this morning and to talk a little bit about um, emotional health. And can I just say at the very beginning, um, is Danny still here? Okay. How fortunate you are as a um, community to have someone um, who emphasizes the significance of emotional health within your midst, that you don't have to choose between spiritual pursuit and emotional health. You're, um, you're blessed to have that, yeah. Every week I meet with people who um, desire to feel closer to God, who want to feel more connected to other people, and who want to feel better about themselves. Um, they are also frustrated oftentimes with their ability to do that. Like, I want that for myself, but something keeps kind of getting in the way. I work with people around their stories and how those stories interfere with their present day life. They desire to feel new, but um, oftentimes the old won't let go. Paul talks about this um, in Ephesians chapter four, where he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So Paul is talking about that we need to take off the old clothes, renew our minds, put on the new. Today, we're going to look at kind of the taking off the old side, because that oftentimes tends to be quite the challenge. I want you to first notice that who's supposed to be taking off the old? We are. Yeah. And so if you're like me and you kind of wish that God would just do that miraculously, like you get up in the morning and all that other stuff is gone... He's saying, actually, that we're the one responsible for doing that. Anybody here this morning find that taking off the old is challenging? Just kind of creep your hand up just a little bit. It's okay, because we already know, okay, <laughs> that it's, it's hard work for all of us. We know oftentimes what we're supposed to do, but that old stuff keeps getting in the way. You've noticed that? We react too strongly to other people. We um, get angry, impatient, hurt, fearful, depressed, even behave poorly from time to time. Should I keep going or do you have the basic idea? Yeah. <clears throat> and we oftentimes can't understand why. Would you agree that it is certainly easier said than done? 
in, term, in terms of taking off the old. What makes this process so incredibly hard for us? As I've worked with people for decades now, being that I'm an old gentleman, I have listened to many, many struggles and stories. I've become absolutely convinced that most often what is in the way of our spiritual pursuit is our struggle with emotional wholeness. That it is the lack of emotional wholeness that impairs our spiritual holiness. I want you to consider that possibility with me this morning. We have stubborn stories and our stories matter. They get in the way for us. Now, for some of you um, that haven't been in therapy for years, the idea of story might be kind of unfamiliar. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Our stories are about where we've been, how we've grown up, what we've experienced, and what we have learned. Our stories begin in our childhoods. Those stories then inform how we live later on in life as adults. They're pervasive, invasive, and they influence all sorts of aspects of how we relate to ourselves, to other people, and to God. The struggle is, you see, that we bring our baggage, this is so sad, sorry, we bring our baggage into the kingdom with us. Do you notice that? It's like the gentleman who said to me, I always knew I had baggage, I just assumed it would fit comfortably under the seat in front of me and not be a problem. But nope, it got right on there with me and now continues to kind of get in the way. When I was a much younger man, um, about uh, 20 years ago or so, I built an office building to house my counseling practice. I purchased a piece of property, a corner lot, in kind of a business park area, and decided that I would build a building then that um, I would practice out of. There were already, it was the last vacant lot in the area, so there were already um, buildings on both sides and then the wires and, you know, overhead stuff going. So one of the things that had to be done for the property to be ready for the builders to come in was I needed to have it cleared of about a dozen trees that were on the property of various sizes. Well, because I'm frugal, not cheap, I decided that I would um, do as much of the building myself as possible. And so I got a bid from an arborist to come in and clear the trees. Well, it was like thousands of dollars. Any arborists here? Okay, because you work hard, I just wanted you to know. Um, <laughs> but I decided how hard seriously could taking trees down be? So I bought myself a chainsaw at Home Depot and I went down on a Saturday morning and I decided I was just gonna clear the property myself. I had a pickup truck, chainsaw in hand, I'm ready to go. So I start on the small trees, okay, which really didn't present too much of a challenge. So I was feeling better and better as the morning kind of proceeded. And eventually I got to, the only ones left were the rather sizable, more intimidating trees. And so there was about a 35-foot cherry tree that was right in the way of where the building needed to go. 
And so I knew that the tree needed to fall in the interior of the vacant lot rather than on, you know, um, surrounding buildings because that kind of cuts into your profit margin if you have to repair those other buildings. And so I knew that I needed to drop it in a particular place. And so fortunately, someone had left some rope uh, that I found on the vacant lot and some block and tackle and that kind of thing. And so I tied one end of the rope around the trunk of the cherry tree and the other end around the trailer hitch of my pickup truck. And I, no, 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 it was fine, it was fine. <laughs> and so I decided I'll just pull the tree kind of, you know, where it needs to fall and then get out of the way. And so I um, hook it all up. I'm starting to cut the tree. I get it, you know, three quarters of the way cut. I go and I start to pick up truck. I actually put it into gear so it would kind of pull and tug a little bit on the tree where I wanted it to go. Left the door open so I could, you know, in case I need to hurry and get inside. And so I'm cutting the tree. It starts to crackle, crack. I can tell I'm going through the very end of it. Sure enough, it's doing this. And then I throw the chainsaw down, run, jump into the pickup truck, pull the truck out of the way just as the tree is coming down. Sweet, okay? <laughs> it didn't land on the truck. I was congratulating myself on how wise and prudent I had been. I jumped out of the truck, then only to notice that in my haste to get the truck out of the way of the tree, I had run over my brand new chainsaw. Oh. So now the bar on the chainsaw is kind of like this. And so my morning is over and I had a greater appreciation for arborists. And so um, I throw the chainsaw into the pickup truck and I drive uh, headed towards home. Well, I'm about a block and a half uh, to a, an expressway. And so um, as I pulled off of the property, frustrated about what had happened, irritated that the morning already was over and the job wasn't, I noticed that the truck is running a little sluggish. Okay, but I just give it a little more accelerator. Okay, and sure enough, I pull out onto the expressway, and as I'm going down the expressway, I notice, don't jump ahead, okay? <laughs> I notice that people coming towards me are waving at me, okay? And I'm thinking, see, they can tell I've had a hard morning, how sweet, what a wonderful world. I'm waving back at them, they're waving at me, I'm waving at them. I pull up to the first signal, and somebody going my direction this time pulls way up over to the side in like the parking lane. And they do this. For those of you under 35, this means like roll your window down, okay? So I roll my window down on the truck, and um, this gentleman in another car yells out, hey, moron, look in your rear view mirror. I had no idea who he was talking to, but I thought I should probably check as well. And as you may have already guessed, the truck's poor gas mileage and sluggish behavior were related somehow to this tree that I was dragging behind. <laughs> Limbs flying everywhere, leaves and everything. Chaos, people scattering in every corner. Now, before you enjoy that story too much, let me sneak up on you and tell you that is exactly how many, many of us escaped childhood. We couldn't wait to grow up. We couldn't wait to get away from the homes where 
sad things happened, we were frustrated, irritated, and eager to move on down the road. And what we didn't notice was that we were dragging all of that stuff still behind us. Does that make sense to you? The wounds, the hurts, the lessons that we had learned were dragging that all behind us. Just like the Hebrew writer describes when he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, you know, like cherry trees and things like that, and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us with perseverance run the race marked out for us. Some of us this morning are working really hard to run the race, right? We want to pursue Jesus. We want to be closer to God. We want his presence more tangible in our lives. And we just keep pushing on more accelerator, trying to stay ahead of what we've been dragging behind us. You know what one of the scariest verses in the Bible is? Matthew chapter 18. Unless you become like little children, you will never see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that you and I have to remain childlike. Well, what are children like? Trusting, vulnerable, open, curious, filled with wonder. Much of those things that we abandoned and didn't want to drag with us because they were too dangerous. Now, I know just quickly um, this morning that there are some of you um, who had wonderful, nurturing, warm, accepting, approving childhoods. So let me just say that some of what we talk about next probably won't apply to either one of you in this <laughs> in our gathering, okay? If you'll just be very patient and kind and sensitive to the people around you, we would, we'd appreciate that. I suspect, however, that there are many more of us for whom our childhoods contained more challenges, hurts, losses, and wounds. If that's true, would you just kind of shake your head and say that we're kind of all together in this? Yeah. We all have stories, and some of those are filled with more trauma than others. But we never escape having a story. There is no storyless, storyless person here this morning with us. Those stories influence our choice of relationships, career, believe it or not. They influence who we choose as partners. Like we grow up and marry one parent and become the other. That should give you a rash, okay? They choose our lifestyle, our struggles, and most importantly, they choose our spiritual development and maturity. They get in our way, in our relationship with God, if we're not very, very careful. 
unprocessed, they hold us back from experiencing what God desires for us, and that is to put on the new. I believe this morning that we either know our stories, understand them, and accept them, or our stories play themselves out through us unconsciously, and they often end up hurting us as a result. Stories that are untold and unshared are even more difficult to heal. As children, all of us formed pictures of our world, what it was like, whether people could be trusted or not. We didn't have the capacity to judge whether those lessons were true or not. We simply accepted them as they were and began to order our world around them. Out of our desire to protect ourselves from the hurts of some of those conditions that we were in, we often developed certain survival skills. We get funny or we learn to deflect things this way or that way. Where once those skills were helpful to us as we were growing up, now as adults they get in the way of healthy relationships and spiritual growth. We're left feeling frustrated, confused, discouraged. The skills aren't bad, they're just outdated. That's why I think Paul talks to us about taking off the old, because the old gets in our way. And yet, how is it that we go about doing that? when we have learned to protect ourselves from future hurts. It's kind of like, think of your home growing up as a football game. You get all padded up, you get all the helmet on, you get the gear so that you are safe in the game. And then Friday night after the game's over, everybody else heads to the locker room and you just decide instead just to keep the stuff on because you never know when a football game might break out. Okay, and you wanna be prepared and protected. The problem is Saturday night dance makes it a little hard to snuggle with all the stuff. And yet oftentimes that's what we did with our childhoods when we left them behind. Taking them off the old man is really difficult because of the intensity of some of the experiences that taught us the lessons about how to protect ourselves. When I was in third grade, I grew up in Portland, um, my parents decided that the city of Portland, urban Portland, was too dangerous to grow up in, so we moved out to the country, okay, where like cows and horses and pigs and that kind of stuff. So we moved from Portland to Gresham, she tells you how old I am. And so when we moved to Gresham, I got introduced to country life via Jimmy Little, who was my next door neighbor. And Jimmy explained something very important to me. One of my questions about country life was, how do they keep these big animals, cows and horses, in the pastures and the fields with just this little tiny piece of wire that runs all the way around? It was mesmerizing. I said, Jim, why don't they just push the wire over and eat wherever they want? Now, Jimmy, was being a nice neighbor and a good friend, was, 
you, you guys are real sharp, okay? He said, Byron, let me explain that to you. He said, it's real easy. He said, just grab a hold of the wire and it'll get clear. Now, I thought the country was a safe place, okay? So I went ahead and grabbed the wire. And what do your muscles do when you, yeah. So now pay close attention. So here I am grabbing hold of the very thing that's hurting me and unable to let it go. Are you paying attention? Because we're not talking about electric fences right now. That we learn these old ways of being, these old lessons, and because they were charged with hurt for many of us, we grab a hold of them and hang on to them for all we're worth. Almost until you have to have your fingers pried off. I'd still be on the fence if Jimmy hadn't shown mercy and just pulled me off. Fortunately, it didn't leave any ill effects. <laughs> Growing up, my parents um, were unhappily married. There was lots of bickering, fighting. It wasn't much fun to listen to. It wasn't really violent or dangerous, but when you hear people, you know, always bickering and fighting, I spent a lot of time in my bedroom teaching myself how to play the guitar so that I wouldn't have to listen to all of that that was happening behind the scenes. Now, that helped in that I got to play the guitar, but it also left behind some other lessons, one of which was conflict is really painful. Don't ever have conflict. Stay away from conflict. It never gets resolved. I learned that lesson growing up. And frankly, when I was little, it served me pretty well. I just flew below radar. But then I grew up and married a therapist. <laughs> and now there's this problem of let's talk this through, let's work this out. But the old lesson comes right into play. And what that leaves behind is that you become a people pleaser, hypothetically, okay? And you can get resentful because other people get to take advantage of you and you don't get what you want. Do you see the problem? Those old lessons, they get drugged behind us like the cherry tree and they keep playing themselves out and creating problems. That lesson then has not served me well in adult relationships. What did you learn this morning growing up? Have you thought about that? What did you learn about conflict? See, if we had more time this morning, we could just kind of do a survey. What did you learn about feelings? Don't have them? They're dangerous? They're uncomfortable? What did you learn about trust? Shall I go on or is it depressed enough? Okay, so we learn all these various lessons and we carry them forward into our own lives as adults and they continue to get in the way.
The most powerful form of learning is observational. Children will forget what we tell them, but they never forget how they felt. And we carry that into our adulthoods. This, um, this struggle of ours has been going on for a long time. Take, take a breath, everybody. It's going to be okay. We're just chatting about folks who should have been here this morning and couldn't make it. Okay. Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to um, a man named Abraham. You remember him? Who did he marry? Sarah. And what did she look like? She was hot. I mean, she was beautiful, okay? And so Abraham was concerned about what? Somebody killing him because he had the hot wife, okay? And so he makes this wonderful suggestion to his wife, which I'm sure she appreciated, okay? When anybody asks you who I am, just tell them you're my sister, which is really honoring to a woman and a wife. Okay. Now, what's really fascinating about that story, other than it didn't go well probably for Abraham or Sarah, is that um, somebody is paying attention to that. He has a son. And in a few chapters over, we learn about Isaac, who also marries a hot lady. And guess what he does when somebody asks who she is? he also describes her as his sister. Now, I'm, I understand I'm a trained professional and a therapist, but I'm guessing that he learned that somewhere, right? Watching, listening to the stories, etc. That's how our stories get passed down along the line and how they continue to hurt us. It's been an old, old problem. I shared with you about the building. After I got the trees cleared, which I did, for those, you know, who didn't think that was going to happen, um, I had the building built. And once the building is built, then the landscapers come in. And when the landscapers come in, when the building is finished, but the landscapers haven't done their magic, all around the building are holes and piles. Holes are places where they pulled the stumps out that I left behind, some of those, and they're just holes. And those holes have to be filled in in order for the landscape to look nice. And then, not only are there holes, but there are piles. Piles of stuff that was left behind that have to be cleaned up. You have to move the piles and fill them over into the holes. All of that so you can make stuff smooth and beautiful uh, like you want to have. Most of us, as we build the landscape of our lives, left home with holes and piles. Holes are things that we didn't get that we desperately needed. Love, nurture, acceptance, approval. We later as adults then struggle to get those holes filled. We want them to fill in. We run towards things in unhealthy pursuits in an effort to try to fill what we didn't get. I had a gentleman come in to see me um, who was in his 50s. 
And one of his presenting issues was, Byron, I just want to hear my dad say he loves me one time before he passes away. He's in his 80s. I just want to know that I was loved. He goes on to describe to me that his dad has treated him horrible as long as he can remember. He can't do anything right. His wife won't even stay in the same room as he and his dad because of how his dad treats him. She just can't, she can't tolerate it. So as we start to go through his story, um, I discover that there are two sons in this family. We're looking at his family tree. And my client is named John Jr. But what struck me as kind of odd was that John Jr. Um, is the second of the two sons. So his oldest brother is named Frank. And so as I'm talking to John, my client, I say, John, I'm, I'm confused by this. Usually the firstborn, right, is usually named Junior. And so I'm curious why you're secondborn in John Jr. He says, oh, my, my dad um, named my oldest brother, who he loves. My oldest brother can do no wrong. He says, he named him after his brother. I said, well, that's intriguing. Why? He said, well, when my uh, dad was young, his brother died. And so he named him after his brother. Now, because I'm a therapist and I'm curious, I was curious about how did he die? John goes on with this story. He says, well, my dad doesn't like to talk about it. However, um, he was babysitting while his parents were gone. They were playing out in the fields, and Frank ran and jumped over a barbed wire fence, caught his arm, and it cut open uh, up above on his arm up here. And so my dad was afraid that he would get in trouble by his parents, so he talked Frank into not telling anybody, and then they just put a Band-Aid on it and hoped it'd get better. Well, after a little period of time, all of a sudden these strange red streaks started showing up on his arm, and um, by the time they got him to the hospital, uh, three hours later, he's dead. So, I know you're not trained professionals, okay? Any guess, however, how that brother felt about his brother dying? A little guilty? And so he names his first son after his brother, and how does he treat him? Wonderful. He can do no wrong. He gets away with murder. And his second son he names after whom? And how does he feel about himself? See, you could be therapists, okay? It's an easy job. So yeah, he feels guilty, and he's been punishing himself through his son for decades. A hole was left behind in his son that his son didn't dig. But he's left with it. And he goes through life looking for all sorts of ways to try to fill it. That's how holes work. But sometimes we left home with piles. Piles are things that we got that we didn't want. 
abuse, hurt, criticism, critique, comments. Woman came to see me, she was in her mid-30s, married, three children. I had been seeing her for a few months when I noticed something very disturbing to me. And that was never once yet in session had she broke out and belly laughed, which disturbed me because I thought I was funnier than that, actually. Okay? And so as we were um, working one day, I said, you know, um, Sally, I, I'm confused. You've never really laughed in session, and I'm wondering why that is. She looked at me and she said, oh, I don't laugh out loud. I said, really? Why is that? She said, oh, it's embarrassing, but I laugh like a horse. I said, really? I, I didn't really realize that horses laughed and what that's like or anything. I said, um, where'd you learn that? She said, I can tell you the day that I learned that lesson. I said, really? She said, I'm in first grade. I turned six. I had a bunch of girlfriends from school come over for a birthday party at my house. We're all sitting around the dining room. I'm opening presents. We're having cake and ice cream. And my older brother walks through the dining room headed towards his bedroom at just the moment where one of the other little girls in my class said something funny and I busted out laughing. My brother turned around, looked back at me, and said, Sis, you laugh just like a horse. And all the other little girls at the table started laughing at me. And she said, I can remember saying to myself, I'm never going to experience that humiliation again. I am never going to hurt like this. I will never laugh out loud again. Thirties, married, three children who have never heard their mom belly laugh. One comment and a pile that she drug behind her, just like many of us. Did you learn lessons about you? How you look? How smart we are? What we're capable of? Whether we're enough or not, or adequate? Those lessons follow us into adulthood. Unless we challenge them and take them to task. I asked Sally, I said, did your brother go to like laughter school? Like, was he like a professional laugh evaluator? Okay. And she did that. She laughed and she said, um, well, he was 10 years old. I said, so we don't really know whether you laugh like a horse or not. You just haven't wanted to take a chance. She said, okay, that's possible. I said, we ought to find out, don't you think? So I said, I've got a little homework for you, okay? I'd like you to go home, get in a room all by yourself, and then I'd like you to make yourself laugh, you know, like tickle yourself or something, okay? I want you to really belly laugh, and I want you to record your laugh. She said, okay. I said, then I want you to go to the shopping mall Saturday morning. I want you to take a clipboard and your pen, piece of paper, and I want you to play the recording for 50 people at random and just ask them, what do they hear? And I want you to write it down. 
She said, you're kidding me. I said, nope. Okay. So next week, she comes back. She sits down in session. I can't make this up. This is a true story. Okay. And she sits down and she says, you're never going to believe what happened. And I thought to myself, oh, no. I just added years to therapy. Okay. That was a bad idea. I said, okay, tell me what happened. She said, um, I played it for people. Over and over, I think I played it maybe for 75 people. I just couldn't stop, okay? And she said, here's what was weird. Nobody mentioned a horse. They said, oh, she's having fun. I wish I was her or something like that, okay? But nobody mentioned a horse. Could it be possible that for all these years, that got stolen because of what I came to believe? Since the beginning of the Bible story, God has been working to redeem the garden. He desires, I believe, to create wonderful landscapes in our lives, you guys, that are filled with His redemptive glory. You and I, however, are the ones that are responsible to be active in the partnership by tilling and clearing the soil. God provides the rain, the sunshine, the warmth, we prepare the soil of our hearts and our minds. We play a role this morning in what God can grow in us. Do you believe that? What does your soil look like this morning? Have you taken the time and the care to examine it? Where the holes are, where the piles are? What are you doing to prepare the soil for what God desires to grow? God calls us out of the world and into community because it's hard sometimes for us to see our own holes and piles. But when we are surrounded by other people, they can help. I believe that because many of us were hurt in relationships, that's exactly how God wants us to heal in relationships. Now, I'm not going to debate to you um, this morning about whether God can just miraculously take care of all of those holes and piles. Of course He can. But I don't think He usually does like that because I think He wants us to experience redemption by having people collaborate with us in that process. So this morning, as we close, I want, I want to encourage us to think about what areas in our lives God is trying to do something with and where that came from back here. Are we dragging that stuff from childhood around behind us? And if so, can we get the help from those in our community to do something about that? Now, sometimes that will mean talking to other people because untold stories are hard to heal. And sometimes that might mean talking to a professional Danny's talked a little bit about that, and it sounds like there's going to be more opportunities. But I'm absolutely convinced that it is our lack of emotional wholeness that gets in the way of what we want and what God wants in our lives. And we're the ones responsible for doing something with that. Do you believe that? We need to be 
healthy, thriving people. And we need to step into that place with him in order to be so. Will you pray with me? Father, we're broken people. We own that. We know that. Broken from the hurts of others that uh, may have been perpetrated on us. Um, Father, I pray for those here this morning. I know in this room there are lots of wounds and hurts that have gone um, undressed um, that continue to impact people's lives. So I'd ask that you would give all of us um, insight into what our holes and piles might be, that you would give us the courage to be willing to step into hard places and examine our lives more closely. Tilling the soil is hard, scary work for all of us. So Father, step in with us, be our co-laborer, um, help till the soil so that we can be um, more and more conformed to the likeness of your son. It is in his name that we pray and give ourselves afresh to you. Amen. Amen. Can we just give Byron a hand? I know for many of you that today was a lot to think about. Um, now you know how I feel every single Tuesday afternoon of the last year and a half. Uh, I also know how important it is to really sit and reflect upon the things that, that the Holy Spirit through Byron reveals uh, to ourselves. And at Kesed, we've learned to do this pretty well, to pause, to, to allow what we've just heard to soak in and to, to really reflect. And so I want to close our service with just that time. A time of um, searching, a time of pondering, a time to just kind of say, okay, Holy Spirit, reveal to me where this uh, is binding me up. Because I have nothing to offer about the, the, uh, what Byron said in terms of knowledge, but I can encourage you that once you begin to walk out this journey, there is an incredible amount of freedom to be had in just knowing where your holes and piles are and just knowing why you reflect and why you do and why you feel. And it's just incredibly um, almost sobering to sit with God and be honest with him about the things he already knows. <laughs> See, he's never surprised by the stuff that, that, that you're revealing to yourself. He's like, got it, good, yes. And he orchestrates, right? We talk about that. He moves in symphony within your own revelation that oftentimes you are responsible to walk out. And so I just want to not just talk about it, not just preach it, but actually give you time to do that. That no matter your age, no matter your place, no matter where you are, I want you and I want myself to really wrestle with what it feels like and what it means to be authentic with God emotionally and spiritually, to be present with him and the story that you're unraveling. We're gonna talk a lot about this in our series that we launch here at Kesed in two weeks called Crimson. We're gonna dive back into the book of Acts and we are gonna really uh, uh, move into this and see how this ties into our stories. 
And uh, I just want to invite you guys to come and be a part of that. And I want you to just take a minute now and reflect on what that journey might look like for you. Well, I had a drinking problem. And I was supposed to pick up my daughter, who was five years old. I went to a bar instead. That hit me hard. That was 1979. And that was the last drink I've ever had. I went to her and told her what I did. I'll never do it again. <laughs> and so if it wasn't for my daughter, I wouldn't be sitting here. Tell you a little story. This happened oh, about five, six years ago. It was in Columbia, Missouri. I went to a Baptist church, and the preacher told me, at your age, there's no hope. Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> Don't ever give up. Because Christ doesn't want you to. Maybe that's not the right answer, but it's the best one I've got.